What can I say about Rainer Stern? Um, when I first met Rainer in Waldorf in Germany, I must admit I found him one of the most uh, terrifying people I'd met in business for a while. And who would have known, maybe some years later, that he would have embarked on the master's project. Reiner's role at SAP, well, he's a global vice president. Uh, He's involved with their sales accelerator program and leadership programs, clearly on a global scale. As I've got to know Reiner, um, particularly through his attendance of the master's programs, one was able to see a side of Rhino that was very different to, to that that I first had when I met him for the first time. He was, from the outset, an incredibly curious person, an amazing sense of humour, um, dare I say it, even for a, a German. Um, and his particular topic for this sales podcast is on the topic of leadership and in particular the kind of disruptive leadership that's required in a, an economy, in a VUCA environment in which the world is changing so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have had Reiner on the programme and uh, really hope that you enjoy the benefits of his research. Thank you. First of all, Reiner, I just want to thank you uh, for being a guinea pig in this, the very first of the Mastercast kind of series that we want to put together. And I think in a way it's appropriate it should be you because of the discussions we were having about how to make come alive, you know, the knowledge that's built up with our master's students with their, with their projects. And I think before we get started in the detail of your research project, can we start with you just saying a few words about your background? You know, what's been your personal journey up to this point? And perhaps also, why did you elect to put yourself onto the master's program in the first place? Okay, very good. So how much time do I have? <laughs> <laughs> well, not too long, because we want to get to <laughs> There we go. So in a nutshell, I'm 25 years old <laughs> in terms of years at SAP. And I have seen pretty much every role you can imagine in the sales organization uh, as a salesperson myself, being in Germany, in Europe, or in other regions like Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, Pacific, always covering technology-focused topics and covering customers from all shapes and sizes across industries. So the largest customer being Siemens, the smallest customers having like five to 10 employees, so a broad spectrum of, of customer experience across different countries and um, cultures. I now do sales enablement for the global sales and sales leader population at SAP. So I'm running, my team and I, we are running global programs to enable people. Uh, one of the programs being the SAP Masters, which one of my team members developed a couple of years ago. And I was quite thrilled that SAP is investing in a topic like this, which is very important, and to provide a real master degree to people. And and I thought, oh my God, these guys, they are untouchable because they're going through a two and a half year process of not only educating and enabling themselves, but also of doing this besides their work. Mm -hmm. And it's quite an effort, to say the least. One day, my manager asked me, called me up and asked me, Rainer, we have one space left. Would you like to join? And I said, first, I need to talk to my government if I get the approval for that. So the next day I called her back and said, my wife agrees I'm on the journey for two and a half years. And what a journey it was. So I'm absolutely thrilled of having been part of that and also being part of this now because it will not end at all. Rainer, thank you very much for that. That's brilliant. So let's move on now to the topic of your final dissertation. I've really enjoyed reading it, as I mentioned to you on the, uh, the email. Let's start off with the title. Um, it, it's an interesting title for me, Leadership in the Digital Future. So you're talking not just about leadership, but there's obviously this, this connection with the digital future. And what you set out to do, I think, in your paper is to suggest a model 
for kind of moving forward. Perhaps we could start off by asking, you know, the question, what was it that led you to choosing this as a topic for your final project? Where did it start? And, you know, why did you, why did, why, why did you invest so much time on this particular topic? Mm -hmm. So first off, I am, I have seen very good leaders in my life, in my career, in my jobs. I have also seen not so good leaders in my life, in my job, in my environment. And I, whatever I do, I always want to see what can I do to become better than the good people, how to improve and how to optimize things. I have been a sales leader myself. I am a leader. So leadership is a natural topic that interests me. Second, I have seen that over the years, one element really changed everybody's life on this planet. And that is the introduction of technology that makes it easy to communicate in completely different ways. So to give you an example, the iPhone came up in 2007, maybe not the best product um, at the time. There were other products before, but that really changed the way of communication. And that changes the way our customers communicate. And having been in sales all my life and being a salesperson, it interests me what our customers are doing. So they're communicating now in a different way. They're communicating to their customers in a different way. So obviously something is changing. We as SAP, as a technology company, need to find out how we can support them and how to enable them to do their business differently and better and to find new opportunities. So that's the job explanation. And then third, I'm personally interested in, in this topic because I am running global sales training programs. Digital Elite is one of them. And one of my colleagues, very senior experienced person, always talks about, oh, we need to become more digital. We need to be digital leaders, digital here, digital there. And I thought, what does this mean? I didn't know. And I said, let's get to the point of it. Let's really find out what is this thing, digital. What does it mean? What does it mean to leadership? How do we need to change and how do we need to be different in the future? And the future is very important to me because life is not static. I always need to, I always want to move forward. So that's why I added the future topic because it will never end. I must admit when I saw the title and I looked at, lead, you know, the word leadership in the digital future and I, I looked at what my role is here and um, I was thinking, well, you know, how does leadership in the digital world affect my concept of what leadership is in that world? Uh, and so for me, I was thinking, you know, is it, is it going to be different in any way? You know, what is the difference between leadership in the future and leadership in the digital future, if you know what I mean? So I found it really interesting. And I must admit, you caught my interest in the topic because I began to reflect upon myself. Well, I wonder how, how well I'm gonna stack up against Reiner here in terms of the competencies that he thinks are important in this new world. And perhaps we'll come back to that point a little bit later on uh, in, the, in the interview. I'm going to refer to certain sections, if you don't mind, of your, of your paper. And, um, and I think it's interesting how you have already sort of gone back to the iPhone and you used that to frame your, your sort of argument around why you've chosen this particular sub, uh, topic. But could you define um, what you think we mean by the digital leader? Is that possible for you to kind of define? And I know that you've cited um, a couple of people in your research, you've come up with a sort of definition, but I think it would be very interesting for the listener to understand a little bit more about what do we mean by digital, you know, leadership in the digital world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I started to investigate this topic, I started to, to look at the term digital because I didn't quite get it. Uh, what's digital behavior? What's a digital leader? Okay, so I, I tried to find out when did the term digital come up for the first time? And it was a person called Leibniz, who in the year 1703, 
came up with a base two numerical system consisting of ones and zeros. And we all know the digital system. I didn't know it's that old. So when I thought about what's a digital leader, I very soon realized the concept of ones and zeros is probably not the best one to describe a leader. You're not a one or a zero. So I wanted to look deeper. And then I thought about, okay, what's, why is digitalization or digitization or digital as a topic important to leadership? How do people describe it? And how is it being described about and written about in literature? And then what is it that makes up a digital leader? So the, the, the Simon Sinek type of why, how, what was sort of giving me the guidance of discovering this topic. And the why became very obvious when I found a couple of interesting um, research and, and statistics. And there was one in particular from McKinsey, a study that said, it's not what I assumed. It's not that a person has to know technology, has to know the latest trends in technology, has to know details in technology. I'm from the technology and I thought, hmm, I'm probably a really good digital lead. No, it's not about, it's not about IT infrastructure knowledge and understanding. It's not about um, uh, the lack of internal alignment on, on digital topics and networks and hyperscalers and these type of things. It is cultural and behavioral changes. What? Cultural and behavioral changes. This is why digital leadership is being described by many, many leaders as the number one topic for the future. I said, okay, so how? How is this? How can this be implemented? And there are different models out there that describe something about digital leaders, and most of them just add, hmm, there's a digital component that you need to have besides being a transformational leader, besides being um, a, a great leader who is, who is perceived as, as a leader. You need to also have digital technology competences. And, and I thought, no, that's not, that's not really showing the behavioral and, and cultural uh, challenges that you need to be able to, uh, to address. And then I came across um, a guy called Brett, from Australia and he described a model which he calls the framework of unnatural selection. And I thought, what does that mean? I mean, it goes back to Darwin's natural selection theory. And he said, okay, if you're not fast enough as a leader, you will be sorted out. You are no longer relevant. You need to learn faster than the pace of speed of technology. You need to stay ahead of learning about how to leverage technologies and how to use them in your environment as a leader. And I said, okay, what does this mean? And he came up with this framework of awareness, intention, attention, and reflection. And that has nothing to do with technology. And I thought, this is really interesting. So he also says, it starts with you as a leader. It starts within yourself. You need to be aware. You need to have the right intention. So how do you want to move forward? And then what is it that you're driving the attention to the problem? And then the fourth phase, reflection is so important. And I, I found this out in my, in my research that I need to reflect on my behavior as well. So that model was sort of giving me the guidance towards discovering this whole uh, topic of digital leadership. And then what is it? What is it that a digital leader actually does? And here I found as many models as I found people writing about it. And I didn't have a clue. So that's why I wanted to find out, okay, what is it that leaders at SAP should be doing differently and what should they focus on specifically moving forward? That in a nutshell gives, yeah. you, <laughs> gives you the perspective of why I did this. So I'm, I just wanted to sort of come back to an interesting part of your dissertation where you talk about the sociologist um, Bertho Kreuzen. Forgive me if I've uh, mispronounced it, uh, Reiner, um, who defined the term digital leader as a digital company leader who does not necessarily have detailed technical knowledge, but has rather a specific mindset. 
And I think that what, what's interesting in, because in, you haven't mentioned this so far, but you've talked about Brett and you talked about McKinsey in what you've kind of just described. Um, I think that what you've described with perhaps what Brett has surfaced is the mindset aspect uh, as being really critical uh, in this. And I guess culture, you know, the cultural issues that McKinsey have surfaced as well, very much speaks to that. You know, they've gone into more detail about the mindset, not about the technology, which is what you've just said. I, I don't know if you've got anything to comment on, on, on what I've just shared with you. So the mindset topic is something that I discovered in real life becomes one of the most important ones because it's not the way how you deal with new technologies in detail, um, particular with new functionalities or features or things that come up. It's really about how you approach this in general and what is your attitude towards that. And especially in these days where everyone is challenged. And by the way, I need to talk about uh, the exponential change, which I needed to explain in my paper. And then also the concept of accelerated exponential change, the VUCA world and these elements that are now part of the news since the Corona situation. So everyone knows about these, these kind of things, but the mindset, how to deal with this VUCA world, how to deal with the change that is becoming faster, like a tornado, like several tornadoes approaching you, the way how you want to engage with this new situation, which you don't know upfront, you don't know what's coming. That's the difference between seeing the glass, the glass half full or seeing the glass half empty. And that is the, one of the top three elements that leaders need to be aware of, number one, it starts within yourself. You need to be aware of where am I right now? Am I seeing something completely critical and negative? Or am I leaning towards, hey, let's figure out how to, I don't know what the solution is, but let's figure out how to get there somehow. And let's find the right people to get there. And that's the mindset of how to deal with the unknown. So, Ryan, perhaps we can come back to some of your findings just a little bit later on. But I think what you've done really well so far as sort of described the the objective of your research and, and why you think it's important and you've explained that really well i think what would be helpful to know is it's just a little bit how you went about conducting the research in order to get the information that you needed because i was very interested in the the three different groups of data points that you've got uh, and also some of the comments that you shared about them, which I may come to later if you don't mention it yourself, um, particularly the one about you not having a sense of humor, which I thought was quite funny, um, <laughs> which, I, which I could not believe. <laughs> but um, I wonder if you could, you know, sort of armed now with this topic of which you've dedicated, what, six months of your, your master's time researching, how did you then go about the data collection? Um, perhaps you could explain that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first of all, my understanding was that I need to, um, when I interview people and when I get data from people, that's the approach in action-based research, you are discovering in your environment. I thought I need to have a statistically significant number of interviews. Mm. So at least a couple of hundred, just to be relevant and to be important and to make the statement, oh, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. Completely wrong. So I learned, and actually I learned this in, um, uh, throughout the research myself, that after a while I received the same answers and it's going in the same direction and it's becoming a little bit, you know, same, same after all. So I said, let's, let's do a qualitative research based on a few select interviews and come up with an approach of semi-structured interviews. So I'm not uh, providing a, a full-blown, this is what I need to uh, ask in terms of questions. Let's, let's be a little bit flexible. And I, find out that, I found out that it's really interesting to talk to existing managers at SAP. But I also talked to some young digital natives, people who don't remember when they wrote their first email using internet technology because it's there and you use it and 
there is apps all the time and they're just digital natives. They know how to, how to, how to do things. And they act differently. They behave differently. They, they don't write messages using words. They write messages using emojis. Great concept, but for me, it's a little bit unknown terrain. And then I also found out that um, I can learn a lot from those people who are struggling every day to keep up with the pace of digital transformation. And I discovered this with, when I was working with startup companies. So I had, uh, in, in the Silicon Valley, I, I, I was running programs and, and we invited startup companies to tell us what digital transformation is all about, how they do this. And they're dealing with exponential change and accelerated exponential change on a daily basis. They are dealing with the unknown. And I thought, oh my God, I can learn a lot from these people. So I interviewed that group. I interviewed a group of digital natives, colleagues at SAP. I interviewed existing uh, leaders at SAP. I also interviewed the founder of SAP. I thought this would be interesting um, to get his perspective, the values, the foundation of what he thought is important to build this company. And these were the three groups. And I did interviews with around about 20 people in total. And I, um, I did this across the globe, um, a different gender, different jobs, different board areas, and just a, a complete different kind of mix of people. That's great to know uh, the extent to which you, you um, conducted uh, your, your research. And I'm, I must admit, having, having um, done, done the doc, my doctorate on the topic, you do begin to see themes emerging you know, quite an early stage, and and as you say, they become, uh, they, they they become they become slightly. I don't know if the right word is repetitive, but they certainly become clearer as you go through the um, the process. So um, there were two. I think there were two key questions that you were looking at finding the answers to. One was what are the required leadership behaviours that will help leaders succeed in the digital age. And the other one is to what extent do our leaders need to change their leadership behavior in the future? So these were the two questions that your, that your uh, data analysis, I think, was focused on. So I wonder if you can start to share with us now, you know, what were the emerging findings that you got from, from the research? And, and perhaps what, what surprised you with some of the findings? What were some of the surprises that you had when you did your research? Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing was to have the three different groups of people and their different perspectives because they were uh, very different. And they gave me um, a, a holistic view on what is required from a leadership perspective. Um, the 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 fundamental finding is that, and it actually confirmed my hypothesis, that the more digital transformation is happening and the more technologies are changing the environment towards the VUCA world and, and things become faster and less predictable, uh, the more you have to, you as a leader, have to go back to the foundation of leadership behavior. And the foundation of leadership behavior is built on trust. So extend trust is the key behavior that you have to demonstrate as a leader. And it was very interesting to not only hear this from experienced leaders, but to specifically hear this from each and every digital native I interviewed, the young people. If people don't trust me, if my leader, if my manager doesn't trust me, I'm out of here. I, I, I need to find a trusted environment because I have a different way of working. I have a different way of behaving. I have a different way of approaching things that may be unknown and, and not so familiar to the existing leader. So the foundation is trust. And on top of that, I asked myself, okay, what is leading towards trust? And I did not only ask myself, I asked my um, interviewees and they said, in a nutshell, it's about three things. Interesting because when you know me, it's always about three things. But the, the core three um, messages were that communication as a leader and a culture of communication needs to change in order to drive trust. Number two, 
dealing with disruption is key. Dealing with the unknown is absolute key to demonstrate the mindset that you trust others to deal with something that nobody has seen before. That's the second element. And the third element is innovation. Be open for the unknown and do something in order to find out how you can grow your business, how you can be more successful, how you can optimize things, how you bring people together to do that. This drive and this innovation, how to optimize and how to get better and how to try out and fail and learn and succeed and, and become, become better is the driver for growth. And that interests not only us internally at SAP, this is really important for customers as well, companies out there and their customers, how to engage with them. So the leadership is the multiplier to change the culture in, inside the organization. It is based on trust and it's important to focus on communication, on disruption, that's the external environment, and also to, um, on the innovation. That's the internal drive. I wonder if I could spend a bit more time just exploring this trust angle because I think it, it's very interesting and, it, and it, all it also came up in my dissertation about, uh, about building trust. And a lot about building trust is about predictability. Um, it's about knowing, you know, how someone is going to act or react. Um, and, you know, being able to be confident in, yeah, in, in that process. What I think is really interesting, um, and I love the bit in your paper where you, where you talk about the known and unknown, is the fact that what we're asking people to do now is to trust in an environment which is not predictable. Um, and that, that arguably requires, I don't know, uh, deeper levels of trust or, or deeper levels of belief in the direction in which a leader is wanting to take a business or a team. I don't know if you want to comment at all on that, Rainer. Um, yes, so this is one of, one of the surprises that I discovered. Um, and, and also some contradiction. So the surprise was when I was talking to the digital natives, what, what establishes trust, what, what is important that you trust your leader? They said, um, I want to get trust in advance. I said, well, what for? Well, I, I just need trust in advance for something which I don't know yet. Well, your leader doesn't know either. Yeah, but I know how to solve any problem because I know how to solve problems. I mean, I can, I can do anything. Just trust me, I'll get there. I'm like, hmm, isn't that a little bit too much? Well, without the trust in advance, how shall I trust you as a leader? And leaders said on the same topic when I prompted them, what do you think about leadership trust, trust in advance? They said, well, of course, but, but you need to have a clear engagement model in terms of this is my set of expectations that I have for you, but then I let you go and I trust you that you will do it. So finding this balance between those two different views on trust and advance was something I haven't discovered before. Of course, it was very obvious when people talked about it, but I haven't seen that as clear and crystal clear as then my discovery brought it out in, in the analysis of the interviews. So that was one aspect. Um, the, the other aspect was another surprise. I'm talking about digital leadership. It sounds techy. And everybody was talking about the human factor, was talking about empathy, was talking about the soft, touchy-feely type stuff. So coming back to cultural and behavioral change is the most important aspect. It really showed me that what was what came out of this study was confirmed by the participants in my in my interviews as well. But but I think what you've done is you sort of codified it. You're beginning to codify, you know, what do we mean by trust? Because I, I must admit, this trust in advance uh, comment. I think it's it's a really nice way of framing an idea, um, and a lot of this is has to do, I guess, with this sort of psychological safety mm -hmm. that a leader has in, in allowing people the space to do stuff. And maybe some of it doesn't work out 
you know, maybe some of it. You know, maybe, and the maybe, other key learning for, for me, the other thing that I learned as a leader is very important is now that I know about it, I'm aware of it and I can consciously use it in my engagement with my team member. And I can say, you know, I'll give you trust in advance. Hmm. So I point it out to the other person. I trust you in advance. I don't know where we are going, but I trust you. You'll figure it out. You come back with options. You come back with your own recommendation, which is classical coaching. Yeah? Uh, but I trust you. I just give you endless trust. And people start to realize, ooh, he really means it serious. Talking about the serious person who has no sense of humor. Um, and, and so this is something that leaders, if they know about it and they are consciously aware about it, they can use as a technique to engage with their employees. And now we're talking about a very strong leadership tool, one of the many uh, that, that I found and discovered. Yes, I know we spent a long time just focusing on trust, but I think it's such an important one. And you describe it in your thesis as the ultimate currency. Mm -hmm. you, you refer to that sort of terminology, which I think is, is very powerful. Um, you mentioned the other two aspects were to do with disruption and innovation. And of course, you, you wrote your dissertation before COVID-19 hit, I believe. Oh. And my goodness, haven't we got disruption? Um, so I guess, um, I, I don't think anyone would disagree <laughs> with that disruption word because it's taken on a scale that none of us predicted even a few months ago. And this is a situation where no one has the answer. You as a leader cannot, you know, be the ultimate institution of, I know how to deal with this based on my experience because there is no such experience. Now this goes back to the mindset that we talked about. Okay. What's your attitude towards it? How do you think you can approach this beast, which may change on a daily basis or even uh, shorter than that? So how do you engage with people? How do you encourage um, them? How do you guide them? How do you help them navigate through the problems that we are all confronted with? So now that I read this in retrospective, it becomes even clearer and more obvious and more powerful than I have ever imagined. Hmm. I mean, I'm interested in, in some of the constraints that leaders have in the way they lead. For example, if you're a, 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 on the management team of a publicly quoted company, um, you are beholden to deliver forward-thinking statements about future performance. And of course, that ripples you know, throughout the entire organization. So do you see that there is a, a conflict uh, at all in the system that often governs how businesses are measured and about the leadership styles that are appropriate for the times in which we now live? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one element that companies, corporations need to think about is in terms of measurement, what is it that we want to be measured on? What do we stand for? What is our vision and strategy? What are our core values? And they may be, and they will be even more in the future, be outside of the core competencies or the core business measures like revenue, market share, number of customers, and so on and so forth. Uh, it goes in the direction of um, what's the purpose and how do you steer your company in, in, in which direction? Uh, how do you engage with people? What do you want to be known for? What is important to you that you that you authentically demonstrate in the market that you really care? How do you demonstrate that? And how do you want to be measured on that? Um, how do you want to live in the environment? What is your sustainability approach? How do you adopt diversity and inclusion? How do you how do you embrace a topic like plastic-free oceans, one of the strategy elements of SAP that have been announced in Davos just recently. Things where customers and um, end consumers are thinking, what are they talking about? Are they really, is this the old technology IT company that we know of? No, it's not. Why? Because customers are thinking exactly about the same topics. They become more and more important. 
So this is where we need to change in terms of thinking and in terms of mindset. Again, the mindset that is driving. And there will be real numbers. So for instance, what does a growth mindset mean in numbers? I found some interesting statistics. Um, if you have a growth mindset, 47% of the colleagues say you're more trustworthy. 65% say this company is more risk-taking and can deal with disruption and is more innovative. And 49% say uh, this company fosters innovation that will help me in the mid and long term. So this is important for future growth. This is the perception in the market and real numbers that this is not only a trend, this will be the future. Now, with talking to digital natives, this is exactly what they talk about. It is not just how many items have I sold in a particular time unit. It is not only what's my customer satisfaction score. It goes way beyond that. And it is geared towards purpose. It is geared towards uh, trust with your partners, no longer just customers or customer of customers, business partners, and is geared towards um, the human factor again. That's great. So thank you. And then the, the third one was innovation that you've identified. Um, I wonder if you could just expand a bit more on, on, on what sort of expectations leaders uh, should have, not expectations, but what, what, what sort of things should leaders be doing on the innovation topic? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one element that will become more and more important for leaders is the paradigm of innovation curiosity will lead to confidence. That means if you're curious to innovate, that means you have to try, test, pilot. You will fail, but eventually you will succeed. And that leads to confidence. It leads to your own confidence, but more importantly, confidence in your, in your team members, in people, in the company, um, in the employees. So driving this changed behavior leads to confidence. And that ultimately leads to more growth. So I found this... Um, this combination of leading and lagging factor quite interesting. Curiosity leads to confidence. So that's also on the, on the human side. Um, another <laughs> really interesting and, and fun story was uh, the CEO of a startup who says, you know what, we turn our org chart upside down. I'm at the bottom and the team is on top. And I just want to demonstrate with everything I do, everything I say, that they are more important than I am because they need to innovate and they need to find solutions for the future. It's not me. I don't know everything. I encourage them. I'm the enabler and I encourage them to make mistakes and I encourage them to stand up and succeed. Um, but it is me who's driving this with very unconventional um, activities and uh, the org chart. And I, I went there and I looked at it and I took a picture is really upside down. So I found this very, um, very interesting. And I thought to myself at SAP, who of the managers would do something similar? Let's just think about it. Uh, and then the other element of innovation, which I completely underestimated and I thought, hmm, I really have to, this really changed my mind was that um, emotional intelligence makes you more human. And it is very, very important to people, not just the digital natives, to anyone to the CEO, to the managing director, to experienced leaders, anyone across the planet, um, anyone who I've spoken to. And there, and I found a number of things that leaders can actually do, specific actions, a specific guidance for leaders. What can you do? What can you, what can you change? So besides just putting an org chart upside down, which may be a fun element to do, but look at the balanced team structure. Look at diversity, look at including uh, people with different background, different skill set. Just be open for difference. Be open for difference towards other teams. Include other team members from teams you haven't worked with before. I tried this out. It works beautifully. Um, demonstrate unity and enthusiasm for what your team is doing. Enthusiasm. We completely forgot about that one in our balance scorecard. Empower team members to make decisions on your behalf. 
and point out to them, no, I'm not making the decision. I want you to make the decision. I want you to grow. I want you to think this through. They will make mistakes, but it's okay. And that's something that, that we can, that we as leaders can foster and nurture. And then last but not least, I, I said, everything starts with thinking about yourself. Um, think about challenging yourself all the time and be open for challenge, for challenging yourself and challenge your own thinking and demonstrate that you're active listening, that you're curious, that you're interested in what others are doing, what other leaders are doing, what they're thinking. So continuously challenge yourself, challenge others, but don't forget about yourself. We don't know everything. So if we take your sort of findings and think, well, how would you measure someone against those three um, dimensions of trust, ability to deal with disruption uh, and innovation. And you, I think quite rightly say that emotional intelligence was clearly something that underpins, you know, a, a, an awful lot of probably across those three, how you manage that as a leader. But had you given any thought or maybe you didn't have time to, how would you, how would you take that framework and say, well, how many people at SAP, for example, how many leaders actually would profile well against those three dimensions? I think there's a very simple way of finding out, uh, not for the whole corporation, but most importantly for yourself. And that is, and now I'm revealing a secret. Okay. We like secrets. <laughs> Ask the other person. Provide an environment where it is safe, where you're not talking as a manager. That's very important. And ask the other person and find out what do you think. If you can, do it face to face. If that's not feasible, do it anonymously, but find a way how you find out. And that will reveal things that you could never imagine. For instance, I have a very, very uh, nice and gentle and high-performing team member. And she said, I asked her, and I created this environment. I said, this is not a manager-employee conversation, so let's, let's be open and honest. In fact, I didn't ask her directly. I sent her a little survey, a couple of questions. Please let me know. And she said, she wrote down, oh, I remember our first conversation we ever had, and you sounded so serious. And so without any humor, much less than the other two managers that I was talking to. All right, I read this. This is feedback. Feedback is a gift, so there's no way of arguing. It's her perception. Fine. I asked her, what do you mean? Tell me. Explain. Please explain. I'm listening. And she said, yeah, uh, I was thinking about getting a job between in your team and the other two teams, but you sounded so serious. And I said, well, do you want to know why? She said, yes, why? Because I was so concentrated because I wanted to give you the right information. I wanted to be as precise. I wanted to equip you with what you need to know about this team and what we are doing and how we're doing it. And she said, this was not what I was looking for. I needed someone who takes me, who embraces me how I am and who wants to move me forward. Now, Rainer, you have done all that, but it didn't come across in the first conversation. That's a lesson I learned for life. Mm. Well, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting story and, and I picked that out from your, your dissertation as well. So thank you for sharing it. And I have to say, Rainer, the first time I met you, I think I'd probably say the same kind of thing. I was completely terrified at meeting you for the first time. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a number of years ago. But of course, um, and I was slightly worried about how you'd be on the workshop on that master's program. Uh, but actually, it didn't take long <laughs> to, um, uh, to see the, um, you know, the energy, the humor, and all those other things uh, sort of come through. Um, Rainer, we've had a really interesting conversation and uh, I just wonder, if, if, is there anything that you've not yet 
kind of communicated about your projects and about your findings that you feel we could spend more time on or do you feel we've covered the you know the key the key elements in detail is there anything else you feel we could go into in more detail uh so one of the so first of all i think we covered it uh, quite well uh one of the key um, experiences that I made along the whole way and it's part of some of the methodologies and it's part of the framework of unnatural selection as well um, but it's and it's something that we don't do well especially at SAP especially in management or leadership and that's reflection we always move forward we hardly celebrate success or we hardly ever reflect on why did something work really well because we don't have to reflect because it, it worked really well or why something hasn't worked oh figure out a way how to optimize it and get rid of it so that next time we'll never have it again but, but we never sit down and reflect and that goes back to the trust element and that goes back to the human factor and the way how we communicate i started to communicate to my team hey let's take some time to really reflect. Let's reflect on your last weekend. I spent 10 minutes on talking about the weekend, talking about what really matters to human beings, to, to, to people, not employees or team members or someone with a user number in the corporation, to really understand what is important to you. Now, what I have learned is when you reflect, you start eventually to talk about what's important to you and you start to talk about values. And what I discovered was that talking about values, number one, is something we hardly ever do. There was this digital native who said, Rainer, you know more about me than my boyfriend who I've been going out with for three years. Well, what kind of conversations are you having? Um, and, but secondly, it is something that, um, that if done in a right way and in a safe environment and in a person-to-person -person and personal way and empathetic way, it is something that really helps to build a better relationship and a better communication. And it helps you as a leader to better find out what's important to the person, which in turn then creates more um, uh, enthusiasm, it creates, creates inspiration, it, it creates innovation, it creates personal growth, interest in what people are doing and why, not just to delivering some tasks and, and outcomes and keeping project plan deadline dates and stuff like that. So reflecting and talking about values, I believe those are two things that, that I understood and realized is, is much more important and powerful than we can ever imagine. And I've included this now in my um, mentoring conversations, in my coaching conversations, to really find out if leadership starts within myself, what are my values? What are my real values? What do I stand for from my perspective? And then what does the other person, you know, um, self-perception and then the perception from the other person? How do I come across? Am I the humorless guy who never smiles? Or what am I? So find that out, and you can only find it out by asking the other person and engaging in the right way. I think that's, that's one of the key things. It has nothing really to do with what, what I wrote up and, and you know, about digital leadership, but it's, it just came, it jumped at me as one of the outcomes that's really, really important in engaging and interacting with, with other people. Rainer, that's been brilliant. And, um... Right at the very beginning of the interview, you said you, you, you were 25 years old. And um, I want to come back to that comment you make. And I want you now to consider the um, new person entering sales, yeah, 25 years ago. Um, not 25 years ago, but if there was one, rec if you reflect back on your professional career and you've really achieved a huge amount over that period of time, um, if there was one piece of advice you could give, you know, that individual who may be at the start of their journey, what would it be? How many aspects can this one 
piece of advice have. <laughs> I don't know. There might be a, yeah, it's a big question. And I think it is an interesting one because you've gone through quite a personal journey. You know, you've, mm-hmm. you've done, you know, you've, yeah, you've done a huge amount and it would be interesting if, if there were, and perhaps you've touched upon it with your talking about values and connecting with. Yes, I'm just going through my, going through my internal prioritization. What would be the one thing? Because usually, I have the freedom of choosing three um, now to to really put it in one. Um, I would probably say find out for yourself what you want to achieve and find as many people who can help you along the way. Okay, that's great. Well, Rainer, I think we're approaching the hour. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. And, and the same to you. On that note, I'll say goodbye and... Uh, We'll be in touch soon. Yeah, cheerio, Rainer. Thank you very much. This was great. Bye-bye. So what's your selling approach like? Are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to? From our research, only 10% of salespeople sell in a way that customers want. But what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do from our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering. So how do you know whether or not you've got them? We have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values. It's really straightforward to use, will only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll be sent your results straight after. You may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself. Check out the show notes at the end of this podcast episode What you do with the results next is your choice. We're happy to dive deeper into these results to discuss what they mean or even explore the idea of finding out if your customers see these key values in your approach.